We are in part five and the conclusion of our series, Equip You. How many has enjoyed this series? Make some noise. Have you learned anything? Have you been equipped? Are you ready for the work of the ministry? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 are our scriptures that we've used throughout the five weeks of this series. And it says, and he gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which, say it with me out loud, every part does its share. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's talking to you. Mm -hmm. Look at somebody else and tell him it's time for you to do your share. It, when you do your share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In fact, take your hand, do it like this. Come on, we're going to use the, the prophet today. Prophesy to yourself. Use the prophet finger, point right back in your face and say, it's time for you to get busy. Uh-huh. We're in part five of our series called Equip You. You notice it's you instead of Y-O-U. It's you short for university. This is, I'm taking you to school here, equipping you for the work of the ministry. We talked about the, the, the hand, the hand of God, the hand that's on our, on our, our own hands is a good way to illustrate how God works to the fivefold ministry gifts in our lives. We told you that the pinky is the teacher because it's the one, it's the only one small enough to get inside your ear. Come on, somebody. You got the, the second finger here is the, is the, the wedding, the pastor finger. It's the only finger that has the wedding band on it because it's the only one of the fivefold gifts that is married to the local congregation. Are you with me? Then it's always funny for me to say this. The evangelist is the middle finger. Praise God. I don't know why my mind just thinks that way, but uh, me and my evangelist friends have fun with that one. But it's it's not because the, the evangelist runs around giving the church the finger. Praise God. That's not what that is. It is that notice that the evangelist is longer than any of the others, meaning that it has a greater worldwide reach than all of the other four. It is not just for the local church. It is the great commission gift that goes into all the world. Are you hearing me? Then you have the pointer finger that is the prophet. And we told you last week about the prophet. It is because the prophet, when the anointing of the prophet is on someone, he points out things in your life and in the body of Christ that we need to hear. Then that leaves us with the thumb. The thumb. Everybody say the thumb. The thumb is the apostle. Now, before we break this down, let's go to our first note and let's define apostle. The word apostle simply means this, sent as a messenger. One, one version of the dictionary just simply says he is, a, he is a sent one and he is an equipper. Somebody say he is sent and he is an equipper. All right, we're going to show you that in just a moment. So the apostle is sent directly from the throne of God, and he is a messenger of God. Now, so we see the hand. We see the, the teacher. We see the pastor. We see the evangelist. We see the prophet, and we see the thumb. I want to point out a few things about your thumb. The first thing I want you to do is 
everybody that, that, that can, you know, doesn't have physical limitations with your hands, if you can do this, which will be most people, do your hands like this, almost like a fist. Everybody do your hands like this. Now, now turn it to where, you, where you look, your fingers are looking at you inside of your palm. I want you to notice something. Everybody stick your thumb out. Watch this. I want you to try to touch all the other four fingers with your thumb. You can do it, can't you? In fact, when you do a fist, your thumb covers all the other four, right? So your thumb, the, the next thing on your notes is this, and I'm going to break it down. The thumb and the apostle is the only one that can comfortably touch all of the other fingers. It is positioned in a way that it can cover the prophet. It can cover the evangelist. It can cover the pastor. It can cover the teacher. But more importantly than anything, how many of those, we're in a spiritual battle, right? How many of those, God gave us armor to fight, right? So, so more importantly than just covering them individually, when you're in a fight with somebody, hand-to-hand -hand combat, how many of those, when you're in a true battle, you're really trying to defend yourself, you ain't going to just slap somebody. Get off of me, get off of me, get off of me. No, you're in a fight, you're going to make a fist, ain't you? You can't make a fist without the thumb. And in the very sense of getting in a battle position, by default, the thumb covers the other four, it literally prepares the hand for battle. More than any, but something else is interesting. How many knows when it comes to the armor of God, he gives us defensive armor that covers the entire front part of our body that's described in the book of Ephesians. He gives us one offensive weapon. The rest of it is to, to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, whether it be the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with the gospel of the truth, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Come on, y'all hear me. So we know that our bodies from our shoes all the way to our head, helmet of salvation, is covered. He gives us one offensive weapon. What is it? The sword of the spirit. Now watch this. Here's something unique about the thumb. The thumb not only covers, but when we've got to grip something like the sword of the spirit, without the thumb, we cannot really even hold on to the sword of the spirit. Watch this. Let's just see. See, I got a good grip on this. If you tried to pull this out of my hand with my thumb wrapped, you'd have a very hard time. But if I'm trying to hold this like this with no thumb, I can do it. It takes a lot more effort. It's slippery. It's trying to fall out of my hands. And if, and if I had no thumb and you came up here and tried to pull this out of my hand, how many of those, these fingers would not be enough to keep you from pulling this out of my hand? But simply, when I take the apostle and wrap it around it, you can't get it out of my hand. Is there any wonder why the church is in a mess that they're in? Because not only they're trying to hold what God has told us to hold without the thumb, they've even taken the apostle out and they're trying to, I can't even do it. It's not even natural to do it. I'm now trying to hold what God has put in my hand. And if it wasn't for my palm, I wouldn't even be able to hold it. How many of those three fingers can't hold it on its own? Which is the teacher, the pastor, and the evangelist. Most churches believe that's all that's active in the church anymore. We're trying to fight the devil like this. Huh? And we can't, we can't figure out why we keep getting defeated. Because we ain't got a grip on what God said he was supposed to have a grip on. Is this good preaching? The fact that the thumb touches all four means that the thumb of the apostle has the spiritual right to establish and minister to the other four. In fact, New Testament lays out biblically 
that without the office of the apostle, there would be no office to equip the church and to establish the work of God. Because everything that was established in the New Testament was established by the laying on the ha- of the hands of the apostles. Are y'all hearing me? See, I understand that there's abuse when it comes to the apostle. I understand there's abuse when it comes to pastor, but I got news for you. There's abuse when it comes to evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Got a lot of folks just that's, that's a pastor that's, that's full of themselves just as much as somebody that calls himself an apostle. All of the five gifts were never, ever, ever intended to make you think, make me think, that we are some kind of elite group of people who are better and more special than anyone else. It is a servant gift, and it is not a gift that demands almost like a kingdom. It's not a dictatorship title, I should say. It is an empowering gift. Are you all with me? Now, somebody say, we in the New Testament. I told you last week, obviously we knew there were teachers in the Old Testament. We know certainly that there was shepherds in the Old Testament. There were no doubt prophets in the Old Testament. There was an evangelistic anointing in the Old Testament, although there wasn't an office of the evangelists in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament establishment as well. But there was an evangelistic anointing. You think about, you know, Jonah when he, he didn't want to do it, but God told him to go to Nineveh. When he finally went, he preached, and the whole, the whole nation got saved, the whole city. So, so that was an evangelistic anointing even in the Old Testament. But one thing that we don't see in the Old Testament is the apostle. The apostle is a New Testament established gift. All the other gifts we see in some way, certainly three of the five, very strong evidence in the Old Testament. So it's a New Testament establishment of a gift. Now, many people in the church do not believe in the apostles of today because of many reasons, almost like the same what we talked about last week of the prophet, but, they, but there's another criteria for the apostles that excludes in their mind anyone in modern time operating in the apostolic. And that is one of the re- requirements for the apostle was that, that, that they had a personal one-on-one physical contact with Jesus, that Jesus talked to them personally, face-to-face in human flesh. You know, example, the 12 disciples. He called them, and because he called them out to follow him, he, they, gave, they had the right to have a special anointing to become the apostles. And let me just say before I go any further, before I get on a rabbit trail, because I'm sure I'm about to get on one, is this, that I do believe wholeheartedly there was a special, unique anointing on the first 12 apostles. I certainly believe there was a special, unique anointing that is not on us, on the apostles and every other person that wrote all 66 books of this Bible. I don't care what gift you flow in or what mantle is on you, God has not empowered a single human being to continue writing the Word of God. It is done. So come on, y'all hear me. So just because you believe in the gift of the apostle, whatever, you say, well, if Peter was an apostle and he wrote, wrote a book, first, second, third Peter, I'm going to write my own book and stick it in my Bible. No, you can't do that. The word of God is over. And in fact, Revelation, the last book of the Bible says, if you add or take away anything from this book, the plagues that's mentioned in Revelation will be added to you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say anyone ha- is on the level of those people. But I'm saying, I'm not talking about the 12 apostles. 
I'm talking about the gift of apostle. I'm talking about the apostolic. Everybody said the apostolic. Do you understand how confusing it is? And how many knows God is not the author of confusion? How confusing it is that God being all-knowing moved upon the Apostle Paul to write the book of Ephesians that we just read chapter 4. It wasn't chapter and verse 1. He was writing a letter to the Ephesians. While he's writing this letter to Ephesians, he says, I just want to remind you, the church, he wasn't writing it to the apostles. He was writing to the church in Ephesus. I want to remind you that he himself, Jesus, gave gifts unto men. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come into the unity the knowledge and faith of God till we all grow up into a, full, a man of full stature to the head which is Christ. He goes on and lays it all out knowing God all being all knowing knows, listen, I, okay, people will say, well, he was just writing that in, in, the, in the current time, not in our time. Well, how confusing is it then that God would know that that letter that he was writing to Ephesians would be anointed and God-inspired because we believe the Bible is God-breathed and man-written. Okay, do you understand? Even though man wrote this Bible, we believe God inspired them to write every word they wrote. So why would God inspire someone to write something knowing 2,000 years later, we in 2018 would have that letter in our hand and would study that letter known as the Word of God, trying to do what he told us to do, to study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We're trying to do what he told us to do, but we're supposed to go through the Bible and rip out everything Am I preaching right? That no longer is applicable to us. I ain't read one scripture that says, hey, this was really cool for the people 2,000 years ago, but just FYI, it's not for you. I ain't read it in there. Meaning if they spoke in tongues back then, we're supposed to speak in tongues now. If we're supposed to preach the gospel to the world we're supposed, then, we're supposed to preach it now. Am I preaching right? Now, how many knows when Jesus died, the book of Hebrews says, a testament only begins at the death of the testator. So when Jesus said, it is finished, and bowed his head and died on the cross, the New Testament began. Three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. For 40 days, he walked around and proved that he is resurrected. On the 40th day, which was, you know, 40 days from his resurrection, he tells his disciples, go into Jerusalem till you shall receive the promise from the Father. I'm going to my Father, and I'm going to sit down at the right hand of my Father, and when I get to my Father, I'm gonna, I'm, he's going to send his power, and it's a gift that you will be filled with the Holy Ghost in power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And watch what he says, and then you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Are y'all with me, church? Now watch this. 50 days from the crucifixion, which we died on Passover. 50 days is the feast of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one mind and one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and they began to, there was cloven tongues like as a fire that set upon each of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Praise God. All these people are drunk. These men are not drunk as you suppose, is what Peter said. But this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. 
What happened? It was more than they were filled with the Spirit. It was the establishment. The new covenant began at the death of Christ. But the New Testament church was birthed in the upper room of Acts chapter 2. Are y'all hearing me? Now listen to this same chapter. Chapter 2, verse 42. For those that don't believe that the New Testament apostle goes beyond just walking around with Jesus. Listen to this, Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking of bread and in prayers. Praise God. So here's what you got to get. So early in the New Testament, everybody say New Testament. There were certainly apostles. This was after Christ's ascension. This was after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, although some have said that you can only be an apostle if you have personally seen, and here's the other requirement, been personally taught intimately by Jesus, please understand that in that upper room, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, Jesus was not personally, physically, humanly in that room. In fact, he was not even here on this earth. The fact I know exactly where he was because he made it clear the promise will come from my Father when I go to my Father. He sat down at the right hand of majesty, of authority, at the right hand of Jehovah God. Come on, somebody. And the Holy Spirit of God was poured out on the church. Well, I'm with you on all that, Pastor, but still that don't change the fact that the only apostles that existed were the 12 apostles. Well, do you read your Bible? I don't know if you read your Bible or not if you believe that. Because we know that Matthias replaced Judas who hung himself. We don't really know much about his history. I would assume that he traveled with Jesus and, and, and taught with him, but he wasn't a part of the original 12. When it came time to break down the parables around the campfire, Matthias wasn't there. Judas was. So, okay, I'll give you that he was in the crowd. We don't know that, but we'll assume he was. But what about this? What about these others that I'm about to fire off rapid fire that the Word of God all alludes to that they were apostles of the faith? And I have scriptures for all of them if you don't believe me. Paul, who was Saul, I'll get to him in a minute, Barnabas, Adrochinus, Junia, in Romans 67, who's implied was a woman, James, the brother of Jesus, Silas, Timothy, Apollos. Oh, yeah, come on. I wish they just would named Bubba. I mean, why couldn't they just be named Bubba and Jimmy or Johnny? Epaphroditus, Titus, two unnamed apostles, Tychicus, Judas, another Judas, Erastus, as well. So in other words, if the 12 apostles, including Matthias, is added to the list of those that are listed just in the New Testament, the next thing in your notes is this, there is a total of 28 apostles mentioned in the New Testament. 28! Not 12, not 13, because some folks automatically say, well, of course, Paul was an apostle. 28! 28 people are referred to as apostles in the New Testament. Now, is, it a ch is there a chance that all 28 of them spent time intimately with Jesus as he traveled during his three and a half years? Well, no, it's not possible that all 28 did. It's possible that 27 did because I know for a fact 
that Saul of Tarsus didn't hang around and eat fish with Jesus because he hated his guts. In fact, the beginning of his story was consumed with killing as many Christians as he possibly could before he ever met Jesus and became the Apostle Paul. Are y'all hearing me? Now listen to me. There is something theologically when you study Scripture that I learned way back when we were in what we call the Haybarn Church. In the Haybarn Church, I, I come across this studying technique called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention, I'm, I'm not going to be so uh, emphatic to say that it is 100% always always going to be this way because I'm sure there's probably exceptions. But in my study of Scripture, I have found that it is almost always at least correct when you study it out. The law of first mention simply says this. When God lists something in Scripture, you can usually, and I want to make sure I'm saying usually, before somebody comes back, what about this one? You know, and uh, well, okay, maybe not that one. But usually, the law of first mention says when there's a list, the most powerful or the most urgent or the most important is usually listed first, and the least most powerful, the least urgent, and the least most uh, the, the least powerful is listed last. It doesn't mean they're not powerful. It just doesn't mean that it's on the same level as the first. Case, case in point is Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. Everybody say principalities. First one he lists is principalities. He talks about powers, and he talks about um, rulers of the darkness of this world, and then he talks about spirit spiritual wickedness in high places. When you study scripture out, you'll find that in the demonic kingdom, there are four layers, most theologians believe there are four layers of demonic soldiers, if you want to call them that, that serve under Lucifer. The most powerful is a principality. A principality is not assigned to you. A principality is assigned to a region. In other words, there is a principality angel that is over this whole region that the other demons serve under that. We have a great example of when Daniel was praying for 21 days in Scripture. He prayed and sought God but got no answer. And on the 21st day, an angel finally came in the window and spoke directly to Daniel and said, before I even address what you've been praying for, I need you to know the very first day that you prayed, I was headed to you. But I could not get to you because of the principality over Persia was stronger than me. So God had to send Michael, the archangel, to deal with him to free me up so I could get to you. Are you hearing me? That's just one example of the law first mentioned. Well, if that's the case, we understand that is why it is listed the way it is. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The next thing on your notes is this. A portion of all the other four gifts will always be active in the life of the apostle. The anointing flows down. It doesn't flow up. I'm going to say that again. That's, that's one of them tweetable quotes right there. The anointing flows down. It doesn't flow up. Notice in Psalm 133 when it says how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in Unity. That's why we're pushing 2019 as unity. And it says, in unity, it is like the oil that was poured on the head of Aaron and ran through his beard and into his garments. Are y'all hearing me? It is like the dew on Mount Hermon. In other words, it flows down from the mountain. In other words, you don't pour oil on the feet and it flows all the way up to the head. 
oil on the head and it flows all the way down to the feet. You, the, the dew that is on Mount Hermon doesn't start in the valley. It starts on the peak and begins to make its way down. Are y'all hearing me? So, in other words, a teacher may not be a pastor, but a pastor will certainly be a teacher. Are y'all hearing me? So a, a pastor may not be a true evangelist, but a true evangelist will not just have a desire to see souls saved. He will also have a desire to see them discipled and to see them shepherd. And he will teach them. Can I get an amen? A prophet will also flow in all these others. A prophet may not be an apostle, but an apostle will certainly flow in the prophetic. So the anointing flows down. Say that with me. The anointing flows down. It doesn't flow up. And say it this way too. Vision flows down. It doesn't flow up. This is why so many churches are in the mess that they're in because they want to think that God has given someone in the congregation the vision for this house before he'll ever give it to the visionary that God has placed in that house. Are y'all hearing me? So I'm not saying that somebody in the congregation cannot get a word from God. I'm not saying somebody in the congregation cannot even speak a word into their pastor. But I can tell you this for a fact. God is not going to give you the overall covering vision for this house and not give it to me. That's out of order. That's trying to say the feet, it's the anointings being poured on the feet or wherever part of the body you are flowing up to the head. Are y'all hearing me, church? People don't like that, but hey, take it up with God. The apostle or the apostolic is a foundational gift. It is a moving gift. It is an activating gift. My main purpose, I've told you this time and time again, it's not to visit you in the hospital. It's not to call and check on you when you're sick. It's not to make sure that, that I answer every time that anybody texts me or calls me and all this. I'm going to do my best. But don't you dare say, well, he ain't doing his job because he didn't check on me. That's the job of a believer. And I'm a believer, so as the believer side of me, yeah, I'm compelled to do that. But my main job of the office of what God has put in me is to equip you to empower you to be the work of the ministry. If you're, if you or your, or your daughter's having a baby, and, it's, and the baby's born, and somebody from this church shows up to see the baby, I'm there looking at the baby. Why didn't Pastor come? He did. Now, I'm not saying I ain't gonna come look at your baby because I like holding babies. Everyone I get, I want to be like oh, the circle of life. Huh? But what I'm trying to tell you is this. If, until you get to the place where you don't understand, where you, you finally begin to understand that this is an apostolic church and your pastor is equipping every believer in this house to represent this house and to be the hands and feet not only of Jesus first, but also of this house. Are you hearing me? Then we're never going to grow. Because you'll always put the responsibility on one man. And one man can't do it. I said, one man can't do it. 
So listen to the difference in how the apostle can flow differently in people's lives. Paul, the apostle Paul, was truly a church planner. Peter, who was an apostle, was not really a church planner. He was gifted as an apostle to bring fresh revelation to the existing church. But both were apostolic. You can't look and say, well, Peter was apostolic because he was the apostle Peter. Paul should have been like Peter, and Peter should have been like Paul. That sounds like a rock and roll group. Peter and Paul. Yeah, and Mary. I was, try- I was trying to figure out who that was that other one. <laughs> I was like, I just had a brain freeze. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Some of y'all don't even know who Peter and Paul is. All you know is you spent your whole life robbing from Peter to pay Paul. I feel sorry for Peter. Everybody has robbed him. And Paul should be racked up. I mean, he because everybody's robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Ain't nobody robbing from Paul to, to pay Peter. That's deep and theological right there. Sad thing is, of all the things I say today, that's probably the one thing you're going to remember I said today. The, the apostle is functional. It's not a title. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. The apostle or the apostolic is functional. It is not a title. When you make it a title and not a function, you're not an apostle. What made the apostles apostles was that they were apostolic. They did what an apostle did. Not that somebody gave them a name. They brought order. And how many knows God is a God of order? We don't, listen, we by nature, human nature without God's help, usually do not like order. And if we do consider ourselves someone who likes order, because automatically some of you will be like, you don't know me. I'm OCD about everything. Everything's got to be in order. Wait a minute. I'm not talking about your order. Just because you like things the way you like them in order don't mean you're in order. <laughs> your order might be order to you, but it might be out of order. Next thing on your notes is this. One of the main reasons that we need the role of the apostolic in the church today is order. Think about the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 is when he reveals the nine gifts of the Spirit. Then the, the love chapters 13. And then chapter 14 is the regulation of the gifts. Of course, they were all in letter form when he wrote them. But he was writing it to the Corinthian church, which was very known as a very gifted, charismatic church. In fact, he openly rebukes them because he said, when I come to one of your church services, you got the whole place packed and you're having great Holy Ghost church services and everybody's speaking in tongues and everybody's got their own poor personal oil bottle and everybody's walking around laying hands on everybody. There's chaos and there's no order. Read your Bible. He says, but before I go any further, let me just go ahead and clear it up. I didn't come here to rebuke you for speaking in tongues. He says, in fact, that's one of the most favorite favorite scriptures I love. He says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He's telling the church that everybody's speaking in tongues. He said, y'all still ain't got nothing on me. 
He said, every day before I get up and do anything, I pray in the Holy Ghost. He said, but let me tell you something. I'm not at my house right now. I'm at a place where God's trying to send people that don't know anything about Jesus. And if they get here and see all y'all acting this like a fool, they, this, this is what the Bible says. This is what the, How many believes in the gifts of the Spirit? You're in a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit. You're in a church that believes in the, letting the power of God move. But watch what Paul said. Paul said, if someone who is unlearned and uneducated, who does not have the revelation you do, visits this church and you act in the way you act, they will think you are all mad. Not mad at them, crazy. And they will run out and never come back to the church. He said, therefore, I'd rather speak a few words in a known language than thousands of words in an unknown language. He wasn't rebuking praying in tongues. He was saying, listen, when you're in a place of influence and God is using you to try to win the lost, you need to remember to be in order. Oh, bless God, Pastor. I'm, if God puts it on me, i got to do it. Okay. Let's see how that's going to work out. That's how it's going to work out. Come up and tell me. Give me that microphone. God's got a word for the church. Let's, let's see how that works out. Just try it. Just try it. Just go on and try it. You ain't going to get this microphone. Because here's the reality. It ain't because I think I'm better than you. It's because God is not the author of confusion. And if I know that God is speaking through me right now, he is not going to interrupt himself with you. Now, am I saying that God won't ever interrupt the service? Absolutely not. He got the right to interrupt anything because he's the one in charge, not me. Mm-hmm. Getting quiet in here. Somebody say, God is a God of order. You don't believe God's a God of order? Go home tonight and watch the news. And when you watch the news, you'll see James Spann tonight. Thank God he won't, he'll have his coat on. He won't be in suspenders. It's, we got good weather coming. So he'll have his tie on and his coat. And he'll have some point in the weather, he'll tell you the minute that the sun is coming up. And he'll tell you the minute that the sun is going down tomorrow. How does he know that? Because God is a God of order. So they could truthfully say that. How many of those, they can't truthfully say, that's why they never hardly ever, now sometimes they do say 100% chance of rain, but how many of those sometimes even when they say 100% chance of rain, they miss it? Sometimes when they say, oh, about a 10% chance, y'all enjoy your day. And y'all get the picnic ready now. Oh, but James Bain's only got a 10% chance. How many of those, God proves to them that they are not the weatherman. And all of a sudden it turns into 100% chance. But you don't hear them say, we estimate there's a 50% chance the sun's going to come up at 587 or 637. Come on. What did I say, 587? Is that even a thing? No. Thank you, Father. I guarantee you you'll never hear him say that because it's not a thing. But they don't say, you know, we got a 30% chance that the sun's going to set at this time. No, they say it emphatically. Because what they, when they say that time, that time's not based on human thinking. That time is based on God's order. Is that good preaching? Mm -hmm. See, we're supposed to submit ourselves to order. We're, we need order in our lives. Our lives are chaotic. But it ain't just you. 
It's also the apostles have to submit to order. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Just because God calls somebody into a gift doesn't mean they're exempt from order as well. Next thing you're notice is this. An apostle must be submitted to order as well. We see it all through Scripture. We're all, you know, the 28 apostles that we talked about, many of those apostles were, uh, were operating in the apostolic but would not do anything unless they were released by the apostles that were over them. For various reasons, when Saul of Tarsus later became Apostle Paul, we know that. When Saul of Tarsus had his road to Damascus experience with Jesus, and Jesus knocked him truly off his high donkey instead of his high horse, and when he got knocked off his high donkey, praise God, he, he had something. He had, a, he had a, a encounter with Jesus unlike even Peter had. He had an encounter with Jesus in the true, glorified, been with God that the Father experienced. Post 40 days resurrection. The glory was so bright on him that it struck Paul with blindness. He told Paul, go in and see this man named Ananias, and when he lays hands on you, the scales will fall from your eyes. And he found him, hands were laid on him. Watch this. Hands was laid on him. Are you hearing me? How many of those, when, when apostles were released, hands were laid on them? Even though Ananias is not referred to as an apostle, that was an apostolic move. God, he was obviously filled with the Holy Ghost because God spoke to him and told him, I'm bringing you a man that I need you to lay hands on, and when you lay hands on him, he will be filled with the Holy Ghost. He laid hands on him, scales fell from his eyes, and Paul was healed, and then Paul, the Bible says, was filled with the Holy Ghost. But instead of beginning his ministry immediately, because of a couple of things, because he understood the damage that he had done as Saul of Tarsus and how he would not be received. But I believe more than anything, he understood that even though he knew he had an encounter with God, he was, did not have the authority and he had not earned the authority to walk into Jerusalem and demand to be accepted on, on an apostolic level, even though God had qualified him on an apostolic level at that point. So what did he do? And I'm thankful that, that he writes those just a two little verses in the Word of God, or we wouldn't even know about it. He says, I did not immediately go to Jerusalem to present myself to Peter and the other apostles, but rather I withdrew myself to the deserts of Arabia for three years. So for three years, he spent time with the Lord and then came back and began his ministry. And even after that, he, the two most prominent apostles in the New Testament by the time Peter, by the time Paul begins his church planning and his evangelistic ministry, mission work, was Peter and Paul. Think about it. Paul was not one of the first 12, but you don't say Peter and Bartholomew. You say Peter and Paul because these were the two most prom So that shows you right there to begin with. Even though I'm not saying anybody's like Paul. Paul had a special encounter with God and anointing on God too. But it's showing you that Paul was known and wrote more of the Bible than even any of the apostles that spent personal time with Jesus. Are you with me, church? But they, they were led in two different directions. Peter was called at first to preach to the Jewish believers. Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles. Peter, in an effort to, in his mind, he thought he was right. 
He says, if we got to accept Jesus, that's the main thing. He accept Jesus as the Messiah, but we're still Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised at eight days old. So if Jesus was circumcised, then we all need to be circumcised. Please tell me I don't need to tell you what circumcised is. Did somebody just say, please do? I thought I heard that. No. So you, no, don't Google it. Somebody just said Google it. Don't Google it either. If you really don't know what it is, ask an elder around here. Peter said we should still be circumcised. Paul said it's a circumcision of the heart. But even though they both were apostles, they had to even come back to Jerusalem, what is known as the Council of Jerusalem, to debate this issue. And they, they both came pretty close to lining up when Peter spoke. But ultimately, there had to be another apostle. James had to stand up in the middle of both of them and declare order and had to say, I heard you and I heard you, but as the leader of the Jerusalem church, this is what the letter will say that we send to the Christians and this is what we will believe. Apostles are imparters. And parcels, apostles are equippers. See, if a, I believe with all my heart if a person is not pouring out of themselves into others, I do not believe they're an apostle. I'm tired of apostles thinking that that means they sit up on a golden chair on the, on the platform, uh, come on, with a golden goblet in their hand. Drinking from their gold. I did what Chris. I did what Chris Owensby did. I just turned the mic off. Wow! Somebody wipes their sweat. Got a big giant feather up there feeding them grapes while worship is happening. Listen, my wife won't even wipe my sweat. You think I'm gonna ask one of y'all to wipe my sweat? I wipe my own sweat. Not mad at other pastors that have somebody wipe their sweat, but I do want to know why why can't you wipe it? I do want to know that. I'm not trying to be mean, but I do want to ask them. Can I get why don't you wipe your sweat? Romans chapter one, Paul says this as an apostle. For as long as I see you, I long to impart some spiritual gift so that you might be established. In other words, he saw himself as someone who had the anointing on him when he laid hands on you to impart into you gifts. They didn't come from him. They came from God. But that apostle gives him the authority to release it into your life. Are you hearing me? Listen. Listen to this. You ever heard of Philip the Evangelist? Philip was one of the first uh, deacons that was chosen in Acts chapter 7. He was a pure evangelist. He was in the office of evangelists. Watch what happens. In Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist goes into a place and begins uh, to preach in, the, in places of Samaria, and he leads everybody in the village to Jesus. But he realizes his limitations of impartation in the office of evangelists. Watch what he says in verse 14, Acts 8, 14. This is in the early church. Now, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. The Samaria had received the word of God from Philip the evangelist. They sent for Peter and John to come to them. 
Philip said, I've done everything I can do in my giftings. We need those that are over us to come in. So they called in Peter and John, who when they had come down, prayed for the same people that Philip had just led to Jesus, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many of you don't get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus unless you repented of your sins? So these were people who were saved but were not baptized in the Holy Ghost yet. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So who laid hands on them? Peter and John, and release the gifts. Are y'all with me? Hmm. See, the ministry of the apostle can never be self-appointed. How many of those, Philip could have said, well, I'm an apostle. But Philip knew who he was in God. Not to say that Philip didn't become an apostle, not, not to say that Philip didn't flow in the apostolic. But he knew at that moment, I need the mantle of the office. How many knows, we talk about the office, but watch this. Before it was ever an office, it was a gift. How many knows, it's called a gift to the body of Christ. But when you receive that gift, there's an office that comes with it. But they, he realized, listen, I, this, is, this is a big deal. I need to bring them in. It is received by the Holy Spirit through seasoned prophets and other apostles. A true apostle will be identified by humility, love, determination to serve others. I got news for somebody's running around from convention to convention to convention. You know, I'm not making fun of anybody, but the only place that your, your, your apostle preaches at is the holy convocation of apostles, and they never come to your local church, and they never preach in the local church. I have a hard time believing if they're never planting churches, never supporting missionaries, if they're never supporting the Great Commission, I don't care what they say about themselves. They are not flowing in the mantle of an apostle. Because the apostle is an equipper of all the other gifts in the local church and in the community. Not just fly into town, pop into a convention hall, call himself an apostle, walk in his flowing robe, sprinkle some water on everybody, say a few words, get back on his Learjet and go to the next convention. Write me letters. Come on with it. Somebody say he's preaching. See, there's no cookie-cutter procedure in appointing apostles. Look at the original 12, how they were all distinctly different and distinctly called. But let me tell you something real quick, because i got to say this before anybody, because most of y'all, y'all ain't going to stay with me long enough to even hear me say this. You don't call me a heretic. But listen to this. I want to emphatically say that modern-day apostles that I'm speaking of are different from early New Testament, especially the early New Testament 12 apostles and Paul. Why? Why do I say that there was something different about them and us? It's because they were the writers of Scripture and the establishers of new doctrine. No matter what gift or mantle that's on your life, God has not empowered you to write Scripture or establish new doctrine. We are now apostolically, it's not necessarily so much about the office as it is about the gift and the impartation and the releasing and the equipping to flow with the scripture that has already been written and to break down the doctrine that has already been established and of course they were actual eyewitnesses to the resurrection which we are not 
See, the Bible tells us that there are degrees of the apostolic. Peter had a greater anointing and had greater respect than Thaddeus. Thaddeus was an apostle and supported him. John was greater than Simon the Canaanite. Paul was greater than Barnabas and Silas. But no one was truly more of an apostle than the others. Each contributed in their own way to the furtherance of the gospel. Each served the Lord to the limit of their capacity. Think about this. Peter was, was, a, was a speaker into the local church. Paul was a church planner. Was one an apostle and not the other? They both were. One last thing I want to tell you. Is when the apostle of the apostolic, please understand. I know that I'm flowing in the apostolic. It, I never thought that, but my pastor who is flows in the apostolic would always speak in that my life. And that, that mantle of his own him is on me. But please understand when I say this. I don't want to be called apostle. I don't think I'm any better than you or anybody else. I'm not any closer to God than you are. In fact, many of you are probably closer to God than I am. You, many of you know more. You, you don't believe this, but it's true. Many of y'all might know, probably know more about Scripture than I do. I'm not trying to set, a, set apart myself. I'm just finally at the place at 50 years of age and finally at the place, Pastor, where I'm ready to just do what God's called me to do. And I don't care what people think about it, what they say about it. I just want to do what God's called me to do. So come on. Amen. Give God the praise. Not me. Let me tell you where the apostolic is. Signs and wonders and miracles will happen. Miracles are happening in this house. Man with an argument is always at the mercy of a man with an experience. You can argue, 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 argue all day long. You can show me your interpretation of Scripture, and I'll have another Scripture that just to refute you. So here's the bottom line. You can believe that God doesn't heal anymore. You can believe that God doesn't do miracles anymore. You can believe that there's no such thing as the gifts of the Spirit anymore. You can believe that there's no such thing as a five-fold ministry anymore. That's between you and God. You'll never win that argument with me. Because I've walked and experienced every single one of them. Well, you're just walking by feelings. You're just No, 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 no. Everything I've walked through and experienced, I can show you in Scripture where it tells me it is for me. Amen? So here's the reality. If it's not for me, if it's not for you, then why in the world is it still in your Bible? Just go ahead. I ain't worried about saying this. Just go ahead and get you some scissors. Go home tonight and start yourself on a journey. And all the things that you don't believe is for the New Testament anymore, I want you to just take scissors and cut it out of your Bible. Just cut it out. Well, oh, no, I couldn't do that to the Bible. The Bible's holy. It's a holy book. But yet, you've already done it. I got news for you. You've done something worse than cutting it with a pair of scissors. You've pulled it out with your words and with your teaching preacher, and you still got it in your book. Your people in your congregation go home with it in their Bible. You tell them to read their Bible. 
they read their Bible and you are forcing them to read things that happen to certain people and then you tell them it cannot happen to them. To me, that's worse than taking a Bible and throwing it in the fireplace. Because you have kept healing from sick people. You have kept deliverance from demonically attacked people. You have kept signs, wonders, and miracles from happening in your city, in your country, in your church, and in your family because you took miracles out. So bring on your comments. Show up to church and challenge me to my face. I don't care. I'm at the place in my life, I'm going to preach what the Word of God says, and I could care less who believes me or not because I ain't going to preach it if I can't show you in Scripture. How many wants to be a part of a church that is going to tell the truth? Oh, my God. How many wants to be a part of a church that's going to tell the truth? Get up on your feet and praise Him if you want to be a part of a church that's going to tell the truth. <laughs> Why are you standing? You ain't got to write it down. You can if you want to. But the last thing on the notes is this. The apostle. Law first mention was the first New Testament fivefold ministry gift that was established in the church. He didn't establish the teacher first post resurrection. That's when the church started. Remember? Acts chapter 2. It was the office of the apostle. And the sad thing is, it was the first thing to be established in the New Testament church. Meaning, the law of first mention would tell you, the law, law of first importance, would you not agree that if it's the first, law, first office that he established, he probably meant, he probably thought this one is pretty important and probably the most important because everything else is going to be empowered and quit below this? So it's the first one to be established, and it was the first one to be removed by the people. We like the teacher because he usually teaches things that makes us go, wow, that's awesome. We like the pastor because he's a shepherd. He's going to love us and walk with us through the things of our life. We like the evangelist because he's exciting to come through town every once in a while and gets us all excited and reminds us that we're supposed to lead people to Jesus. But we've pulled the prophet and the apostle out because they do two things that we don't like. They correct us. They call us out. And they put demands on us. The apostle was the first New Testament fivefold ministry established in the church, but it is the last one to be reestablished. Little by little over generations, the teacher anointing, the pastoral anointing, the evangelistic anointing, and even the prophetic anointing has been established. Now, once we establish the true apostolic anointing in the body of Christ, then the hand is complete. And the Bible says, then I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Because how many knows we can't expect the greatest revival to ever happen in the history of humanity is what Joel prophesied would happen. 
why would we say that we expect that? And we expect it to be on a level of magnitude of miracles and anointings in the last day, greater than it was in the first day. We read things in the Bible, don't we? We just shake our head and go, my God, I wish stuff like that would happen again. The difference between that and this is they were flowing in order and we are not. Remember, it is unity where the command of blessing happens. It is unity where the signs and the wonders follow them that believe. Amen? Come on, give him praise.